Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless, Divey's Late Night. Start trudging. Me and my brothers, we be looking and be bugging. Vehicles of life, they be rolling and be nudging. Searching for the versions of life that be shoving at the door that's cracked. The valleys of time are always on my feet. At least the beat will combine the calluses and corns with a funky bass line. You won't need underdog for a nickel shoe shine on the shoes that's back. But can I get a level on the bass and on the treble? Putting up and down like a UNLV rebel. The answer be ambitious, but we really dig acoustics. Can't be too much slacking, not too much slacking. You must contain the neck at least to dip your hands in that. Your feet will be impatient, so at least realize the fact. The rhythms are inserted and the nerves can be converted. This ain't rock and roll, cause the rap is in control. If you're a mega star, will you buy you a car? I'd rather go get putting. Footprints I will be putting. All over the earth, we can get there first. Now that we are in it, footprints will be imprinted. So if you recognize them, you can try to size them. They'll probably be the ones with the size I'm flying. All over the field, you don't have to yield. You want protection, you can hop behind the shield. Hello, divas and dudes. Are you ready? Because I'm ready to welcome you to June's Diabetes Late Night Podcast. Hey, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and don't worry, I'm not going to rap tonight. Uh, <laughs> however, Tonight's show is focused on men with diabetes in, the honor, in honor of Father's Day, and we're going to be talking about the link between kidney disease and diabetes with musical inspiration from A Tribe Called Quest. Now, A Tribe Called Quest was an American hip-hop trio formed in 1985 and made up of a number of New York City rappers who were known for their positive-minded, good-natured lyrics. They changed the rap music landscape by shifting the focus away from gangster rap to one focused on self-expression and social awareness. Some of Tribe Called Quest's most musical, most memorable and musical lines came from one of the group's founding members, Life Dog, who passed away this March at the age of 45. He was living with type 1 diabetes for over 20 years and admitted that he didn't take his diagnosis seriously for a very long time. He went on dialysis in 2000, during which time he had difficulty performing. Later on, he had a kidney transplant in 2008 before again passing away uh, this year in March. He said in an interview with D-Life TV, hoping to encourage others to learn from his mistakes, when you learn you have diabetes, the first word you have to learn is acceptance. Well, Life Dog will surely be missed. And tonight, in honor of his memory and his music, we're going to be playing selected songs from his first album, People's Instinctive Travels and the Paths of Rhythm, released in 1990, courtesy of Sony Music. Joining me tonight will be Marianne Nikolai, Dr. Braxton Cosby, Patricia Addy Gentle, Funny Man Mike Dillon, Lynette Lukers, Dr. Arnon Krognagrad, and Mama Rosemarie. Plus, one lucky winner might be an instant winner tonight with a Divabetic prize giveaway when we play our newest game, Potato Skins, at the end of the hour. But before we get things started, take a minute to donate to Divabetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. 
Now, diabetes is the most common cause of kidney failure, accounting for nearly 44% of new cases each year. Nearly 24 million people in the U.S. have diabetes, and nearly 180,000 people are living with kidney failure as a result of diabetes. Those are staggering statistics. And when I come back, I'm going to be talking to the founder of the Marion Lucas Kidney Foundation. But stay tuned, because first we're going to hear Can I Kick It, courtesy of Sony Music. Can I kick it? Yes, can. 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 Well, I'm gone. Can I kick it? To all the people who can quest like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force. Why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe buzz. Rock and roll to the beat of the funk fuzz. Wipe your feet really good on the rhythm rug. If you feel the urge to freak, do the jitterbug. Come and spread your arms if you really need a hug. All right, you're listening to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and we're talking about kidney disease and diabetes right now. Joining me, I've got Lynette Lukers, the founder of Marianne Lukers Kidney Foundation. I had the great pleasure of working with this woman a month ago at our diabetes outreach event at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Please welcome Lynette. Hi, Lynette. Hello. Good evening. We're so glad to have you on the show. You know, um, it's, it is really uh, tough when you talk about kidney disease and diabetes because so many people have it. And you, you notice we're dedicating this whole show tonight uh, to a tribe called Quest and talking about one man who had type 1 diabetes. He admitted he didn't manage it, and it led to kidney disease. I'm curious what got you involved in the cause, and tell us a little bit about your organization. Well, what uh, sparked my interest in the cause is my mother. Uh, she was diagnosed with diabetes stage 2 um, at the age of 35, suffered with diabetes for approximately 15 years, and as a result, she had a massive heart attack. Um, and having the massive heart attack, you know, due to stress and just a lot of family issues, um, she ended up being placed on dialysis for about five and a half years. Um, my mother did not really take um, good care of her health. Um, She suffered with obesity and high blood pressure and was not necessarily a good fit um, to become, to be placed on the organ donor transplant list. Um, Unfortunately, she passed away um, about five and a half years being placed on dialysis um, in 2009. And as a result of just going through that process with my mother, um, I started the Marion Lucas Kidney Foundation in honor of my mother, uh, whose name is Marion, um, in 2011 to raise awareness about kidney disease and prevention. And really just to encourage family members to support their loved ones who are diagnosed with diabetes and um, kidney disease. A lot of times uh, we don't take the time to educate ourselves on the diseases that our family members are diagnosed with. Uh, sometimes we tend to take their own word, and there's so many information that's um, available for us to understand just the whole importance of prevention and good health as well as just diet that really takes um, that really impacts our health overall. Um, so I started this organization, Honor My Mother, and we focus on providing organ donor awareness and support to dialysis patients and families within the Philadelphia area. And we also support 
dialysis patients as far as non-medical expenses, such as transportation to dialysis, utilities, housing, and food. What do you think over the last six years of your work in um, prevention and kidney disease, uh, preventing kidney disease, what do you think is one of the things that most people don't uh, know or aren't, aren't aware of? What would you think, what would you like to tell people? I think for some people they don't realize that um, diabetes and kidney disease uh, correlate together. Um, for those who may suffer from diabetes, um, they don't necessarily get a handle on it. Um, Long term, they could be placed on dialysis. Um, there's um, also just not understanding as far as the diet piece, um, how certain things we eat impacts our blood pressure. Um, also, our water intake for those who are on dialysis, um, all those different things that we just take for granted as far as just good health. And how about organ donation? Because I know, you know, a lot of people right now are giving blood in Orlando because of the victims the other day. So we all, most of us have given blood or have considered it. But organ donation is a whole different conversation. I'm wondering, like, what what are some of the surprising things that might um, jump out at someone who's considering organ donation or things that someone should consider if if they want to become an organ donor? Well, there are a lot of myths as far as becoming an organ donor. Um, There's a lot of educational awareness out there through the Gift of Life Donor Program. Um, It's easy to become an organ donor, and you can sign on to become an organ donor. It takes less than five minutes at www.donorsone.org. And, you know, some people will say, well, if I get into a car accident, uh, will the ambulance, the paramedics resuscitate my body if they see that, I am an organ donor listed on my uh, license, and that's not, you know, they will they will revive you. Um, but there's so many different uh, myths that people sometimes struggle with being an organ donor. Um, there's about 100, 121,000 patients who are waiting on the transplant list, and the average wait for a kidney is typically about five to seven years. Um, in some states, it's about 10 years. And so for someone who's placed on, um, who's, dealing with kidney failure, and the option is that they're going to need a kidney, really encourage them as soon as possible to be placed on the kidney transplant list. And also to be placed on a kidney transplant list, you definitely have to fulfill those requirements, um, the pre-screenings, and also to be a donor. You know, you could be a living donor, and also you can also be a donor um, depending on when you pass away, depending on how you um you pass away, you have those conversations with your loved ones as far as what your personal wishes are regarding being an organ donor. I mean, it's amazing. So tell everyone again where they could go if they're interested in your organization as well as donation. I mean, becoming a donor. Yeah, so if you are interested in learning more about the Marion Lucas Kidney Foundation, you can log on to www.mlkidney.org. You can follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, and we're also on Instagram. And also to become an organ donor, you can find that information on www.donors1.org. Well, thank you for joining us tonight and helping raise awareness for kidney disease and diabetes and, and sharing that story. I'm sure your mother would be honored of everything you're doing as far as your advocacy and keeping her memory alive. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for having me. All right, now it's time to...
Talk to the Charlie's Angels of Outreach. You know, these are two of the loveliest uh, diabetes educators I know, who I finally recall two of the, uh, I finally, fondly refer to as the Charlie's Angels of Outreach. Please welcome Patricia Addy Gentle from Atlanta, Georgia. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Max. Thanks for having me. And Marianne Nikolai from Cleveland, Ohio. Hello, Marianne. Hi, Max. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you for joining me tonight. You know, there's a there. This link. Uh, I learned so much when we did the program in May. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and Lynette was there, Patricia. But a lot of listeners don't really understand the correlation, especially the correlation, uh, like Lynette mentioned about the high blood pressure. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. High blood pressure, otherwise known, also is known as hypertension, is definitely a risk factor in the development of kidney problems uh, with people who do have diabetes as well as with people who don't have diabetes. If you have a family history of high blood pressure, then hypertension still seems to be one of those things that will increase your risk for developing kidney disease if you have diabetes, even with the family history. Uh, High blood pressure just actually puts more stress on the kidneys. The vessels of the kidney are under pressure. So it means that the blood flows at a higher pressure and the kidneys are the filtering unit. So we use our kidneys to filter out toxins and other um, kinds of materials that the body needs to excrete. And when there's high blood pressure along with this filtering and the increased pressure of the vessel, it leads to kidney disease. Well, and I read somewhere that kidney damage rarely occurs in the first 10 years of diabetes, but it usually occurs between 15 and 25 years uh, when it when it happens if you're living with diabetes, and and uh, it goes on from there. So, what what do people need to know in order to prevent kidney disease? Well, the first rule of thumb is have your annual treatment. I mean, your annual. Um, testing done. So you always keep appointments with your doctor. There's usually um, blood work that's done that will measure your kidney um, function. And the first signs of kidney problems may be protein in the urine, but your doctor will do the appropriate test to determine if there's any damage. And like you said, for about 20, uh, 25 years, 20 to 25 years, you usually don't see kidney damage in the first Five years, I mean, excuse me, first 10 years of being diagnosed. But what you have to remember in people with type 2 diabetes is when they get a diagnosis, many times they have already had diabetes for quite some time. So it's not like you develop diabetes today and you get diagnosed tomorrow. Many times it's seven, eight years before there's a diagnosis, especially if it's in a person who's otherwise healthy and is not seeing a doctor on a regular basis. Those symptoms are so uh, tolerable for so long that a lot of people will attribute it to aging process, like they're urinating a lot or thinking they just have these kind of symptoms with the blurry vision and the visual changes with age. So a lot of people go a long time without a diagnosis. So when we say it's about 10 years after the diagnosis, it doesn't actually mean well, it's actually 10 years after the onset rather than the diagnosis. 
So that's and in your and in uh, your practice, have you seen a lot of incidents of um, of kidney disease and diabetes? Most definitely, yes. We see a lot of patients who um, end up with dialysis. Um, I have a few who've had transplants, and of course, we have those who are in stage two, stage three, who we are trying to uh, slow the progression or just keep them functioning for as long as possible. Yeah, because when you hear how long the wait list is for a transplant, it's incredible, right? I mean, wow, I had yes, no idea. Yes, it is. It it really is. All right, well, Marianne, it's grilling mm-hmm. season. You know, this is our men's show tonight, and men love grills. And, uh, you know, we just heard Lynette from uh, the Marianne Lukers talking a little bit about diet sensitivity around kidney disease. You and I have talked about diabetes and, and uh, you know, what are you – what people should have on their plate in the past on podcasts. Right. I'm curious, right. though, like are there certain foods that people should avoid um, who might have kidney disease or, or you know, trying to um, uh, prevent it? Yeah. Well, I'd say this first. If somebody has kidney disease, the first thing that they need to do is get in and see a registered dietitian. And that dietitian can sit with them and work out a meal plan that's going to fit what their needs are. There's different stages of kidney disease, so there might be different things that you do along those stages. But that, to me, is the most important thing, that you get in and sit with a dietitian who can help you work out a meal plan and help you learn foods to eat or maybe not to eat. Um, I think Lynette talked about having to watch the protein or her mom having to watch the protein in her diet, and that's something that would be very important. But there's also watching fluid restrictions, and um, you know some foods might contain more minerals or nutrients that, that you have to watch. So it, it, it can be a little bit complicated. That's why you need to get in and see a dietitian. But for the average person that's uh, a healthy person, then eating um, protein or even a, a little bit moderately high-protein diet is probably going to be just fine. But for somebody that has diabetes, we know that kidney disease is a risk factor or is a complication, not a risk factor, but a complication of diabetes. So it kind of makes sense to me that maybe you'd be a little bit conscientious of the amount of protein that you're eating. And keep in mind that the average adult only needs about five to six ounces of protein a day. That's a day, not a meal. So when you're going out to, you know, one of those steakhouses and getting a big 12 or 15-ounce steak, you're eating enough protein for a couple of days. So I think that's something that we we could probably uh, watch a little bit is the protein intake. Well, certainly because outdoor cookouts and barbecues are so uh, protein-heavy, this is is a little difficult. So what do they substitute? Because, you know, most guys are not satisfied with a salad. Uh, Yeah, most guys are not satisfied with a salad. And again, you don't have to eliminate protein from your diet, but it's just getting the right amount in. So if you're going to have some protein, then then make it a, a nice lean protein, um, and you can get that from whether it's a plant source or an animal source, or you can get protein from fish. Um, also, you can cook so many things out on the grill now. You can do pizzas out on the grill, and that can be a lower-protein food. You can do vegetables. Grilled vegetables are fabulous. Um, you can do soy burgers and things like that out on the grill. Now, that's still protein, and you'd still have to work that into a meal plan if you had any type of kidney disease. But there's lots of things you can cook out on the grill. 
And you can still cook things out on the grill. I mean, it doesn't mean that because you have kidney disease or because you have diabetes that you have to um, not do some of those things that we love to do. You, you can, but maybe we just do it a little differently or we'd be a little bit more conscientious of it. No, great advice. And Patricia, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening are, are scared about hearing about kidney disease and especially the, some of the statistics I mentioned earlier. And you were telling me earlier there's a couple simple things people can do living with diabetes to help prevent it. What were two of, of the things that you thought, you know, people could do that are pretty easy to achieve? Uh, if you're living with diabetes, you definitely want to monitor blood sugars, and you want to keep the blood sugars within the target ranges, whatever you and your doctor have discussed would be target for you because the more sugar, uh, that also increases the pressure of the filtering through the kidney. So you want to keep the sugar levels within target ranges and definitely keep the blood pressure at uh, as near normal as possible. And we like for that blood pressure to be a little less than 135 over 80 with diabetes. For the normal population, it can be just a little higher, but if you have diabetes, we have a little higher standard, well, a lower standard of the blood pressure. And certainly, Marianne, people guard Mm -hmm. their plate when they go to a a registered dietitian, like you mentioned. That's the last (laughs) thing people, especially with type 2, want to give up is have someone touch what's on their plate. I know there's a lot of fear out there about what kind of diet they're going to put me on, and I won't be able to enjoy any of the foods that I love. So what do you want to say to that point? You know, um, whenever I work with people with diabetes, um, it's not about giving up foods. Maybe you can't have as much of something as you used to or you would like to have, but all foods fit. It's just finding the right way to make that food fit. So if you're out barbecuing or something, um, you can still do those things. If you're using some of the condiments and things like that that you use on barbecued foods, um, hot dogs and hamburgers and things like that, you can still have the ketchup and the mustard and the relish and, and some of those things. But I guess I would challenge people to take a look at the foods that they have in their fridge and in their pantries And look at what a serving size is. Look at that nutrition facts label. See what a serving size is. And then look down and see how much sodium is in a serving size. Sometimes the first step in making a change is to become aware. And I don't think a lot of us are really aware of, for instance, how much sodium is in some of the foods that we're eating. Um, I think once we kind of create that awareness then we kind of find in ourselves a, a, a little bit easier ability to maybe make some of the changes that we might need to make or maybe our doctor or dietitian is asking us to make. But I'm really of the philosophy that all foods fit. Maybe not as much as we'd like, but all foods fit, and we just need to find how to make them fit. Well, I think that's great, and you gave me the perfect lead-in because later on in the show, Patricia, you and I are going to see we have an instant winner when we play our newest game, Potato Skids, which, Marianne, is based on the sodium levels in some of our favorite foods. Ooh, so okay. great job tonight. You want to stay tuned and find out who the instant winner is with Patricia and I. Hey, you know, why are men notoriously bad at seeking help for health problems? especially with diabetes or erectile dysfunction? Well, I'll be talking to Dr. Arnon Krongrad about this topic and more right after we hear our next song by A Tribe Called Quest, off their first album, People's Instinctive Travels and the Paths of Rhythm, courtesy of Sony Music. Hey, Bonita, glad to meet you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Before we kind of stunning, you miss a 
made to question their authority. Put me on. All right, welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. It's time to welcome Dr. Arnon Krongrad to the show. Hello, Dr. Arnon. Are you there? Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, were you jamming out to a tribe called Quest like I was? I was tapping my feet. Yes, I was. <laughs> well, I. <laughs> I'm so grateful to have you on the show. This is like a big get for every for me, everybody, and because uh, I I love having doctors on the show, and I really have to ask you because this is Men's Month for us at Divabetic. It's we're in honor of Father's Day. We like to focus on the men. Why are men so notoriously known for not seeking help when it comes to their health problems? Well, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons. We grow up in a culture that that uh, has uh, valued macho behavior, right? And macho means do it, do it yourself, take care of it, no matter what the pain, right? And and I think that's been with us, you know, since the since the dawn of time. Uh, and I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. You know, we're involved with uh, sometimes working with um, other organizations like the Good Men Project, where we emphasize, you know, sharing and opening. But I will confess to you that um, that uh, as a man and as a surgeon, and I think I think surgeons in particular bring out some of these traits. Um, I don't relate to that. Um, I mean, I just share a personal, you know, from a personal perspective. I need to get things done by myself and, and quit whining, so to speak. Yeah. So when something happens, most men kind of just kind of. Uh grit their teeth and live with it, right? Instead of like trying to get help immediately. And then sometimes it has disastrous consequences because they didn't act uh, immediately. Well, I think that's right. And, and the subject that you and I spoke about, you know, before the show, the erectile dysfunction, right. You know, with regards to certain, with, with regards to certain conditions, it's almost like there's a conspiracy that, that accentuates the ill effects of that, that stoicism, that, that need to grit your teeth. What I mean by that is if, if you think about erectile dysfunction, we have numerous factors um, affecting men's basically inability to share, you know, the, the problems that they're having. For example, uh, our society tends to be absolutely bipolar when it comes to authentic conversations about erections. On the one hand, we glorify erections. We have, you know, strip clubs, for example, gentlemen's clubs. And on the other hand, we've got corporate culture, which says, uh, thou shalt never acknowledge the existence of erections. So somewhere between those two extreme poles live 99% of men who don't really fit into either particular, you know, cultural scenario and need to have authentic conversations. Now, besides society's bipolar approach to sexuality and men and erections, um, you also have the doctors. You know, if a man is struggling and goes to his doctor, the fact is that in most cases the doctors today are so tired and so exhausted by bureaucracy and computerized medical records that the last thing they seem to want to talk about are, are that particular complaint. And, and as if that's not enough, insurance doesn't cover the treatments in many cases, and the hospitals aren't really equipped to help you deal with getting the solutions you need when your insurance doesn't cover it. So, so generally speaking, obviously men are, are macho. 
right? They, they tend to share a lot less than women do, but with some conditions like erectile dysfunction, um, they've got help being macho, so to speak. They're kind of cornered. One of the things we're seeing with Sergio, which is, you know, the, the surgery package uh, service that we talked about, is, is when we build surgical services, flat fee comprehensive packages, including for erectile dysfunction with penile implant surgery, what we see on the customers who arrive at Sergio are exhausted. They've been looking for help, many of them for years. They've been beaten up by, uh, quote unquote, the system, by the doctors, by the insurance companies, by the hospitals. And when they find a, a simple solution like Sergio offers, uh, they're absolutely relieved and, and they do pursue care. So, again, I. Because yeah, we, Sergio, wait, just much. back up for a minute. Sergio is this new online. Um, uh, it's a, a lot online resource where I could go in and review surgeons and find out what surgeons people have liked in order to decide if I want to have the surgery, who would be the best candidate to perform the surgery for me, correct? Sort of. Let me let me just clarify a couple of things. So Sergio, first of all, was spelled S-U-R-G-E-O, like surgeon without the N. Right. Sergio's Sergio does offer you information, but its its actual product to you is much more than information. Um, what Sergio delivers to you are surgery packages, which are comprehensive. So it includes the surgeon, the anesthesia, the facility, all the things you're going to need at a flat fee that includes ancillary procedures to eliminate financial surprises, you know, the kind that you read about, using only surgeons that have been peer credentialed, meaning these are the surgeons that other surgeons use when they need surgery. So it's a, it's a very stringent sort of surgeon qualification process, and you as a consumer can access any one of them uh, at a flat fee, and, and Sergio gives you the tools so you can make comparisons by surgeon price and location. So it's simple access to quality care. Well, now I want to talk about erectile dysfunction. If I'm a man living with diabetes and I've been in denial for a long time and my blood sugars are irregular, and I'm making this up, everybody, so please just go with the uh, – you could email me later if you don't like my uh, general generalities here. But um, and I have fluctuating blood sugars. How how can I have that surgery? I mean, when I be at high at risk for having that surgery, do I have to manage my blood sugars first and get them back into a target range before I could go forward with that surgery? Any patient going for any procedure needs to be what we call optimized medically. So if your sugar's out of control, yes, that absolutely should be addressed first. Remember, when we're talking about penile implant surgery, we're not talking about emergency surgery. We're talking about right. elective surgeries. So there's time to make sure that you're, you're as fit as possible before you go in. If your blood pressure is out of control, that should be addressed first also. Okay? Now, having said that, back to your question, the overall risk for infection with penile implant surgery, including with diabetic, is vanishingly small. It is less than 1%. Um, and in and, and the right hands, meaning the kinds of surgeons that we qualify for Sergio, it's probably less than half a percent. It's extremely low. We're, we're so confident, actually, with the surgeons uh, that we brought into Sergio for this particular package that we actually include uh, financial protections in the event of infection or other complications uh, as, part of your, as part of your package. Think of it like collision insurance when you rent a car. Okay, now I, I want to ask the $10 million question because I'm sure people want to know this. And if, if this is too graphic for people, then, you know, pause and walk away from the radio for about three minutes and come back. What, what actually happens in penile surgery, implant surgery? Okay, 
so penile well it's a prosthetic we're talking about the implantation of a prosthetic device very much like having an artificial knee implanted or, or, or an artificial breast implanted for example with penile implants you actually have a choice of three two or three different models um, there are essentially two in terms of their functionalities one is what's called a semi-rigid or malleable which is remember the old gumby dolls that had kind of a rubbery sort of consistency to them you right. can just kind of shape those with your hands. Those are less popular. The more popular models, by far the more popular models, are what we call an inflatable uh, implant, which has a, a reservoir implanted actually into the belly. It's got, it's got saline in it, and there's a little pump that goes into the scrotum. When you pump, when you pump it, it, the water is shifted from the reservoir into the cylinders, so the penis goes from a, a completely flaccid state, very natural flaccid state, to a fully erect state. The, the implant is placed in such a way that nobody can actually see it. So even if you're in, a, in the locker room, for example, with other men running around, uh, it's completely concealed, very much like a knee implant is concealed. Okay, wow, okay. And then um, you just pump it up when you're ready to have intercourse. Yep, exactly right. So it's 100% effective in that sense. Uh, what we hear from men who have had it, who have tried other things, remember there are other treatments like Viagra, for example, and injections and things like that, um, is that, is that they're, they're very satisfied. And the reason they're very satisfied is basically it's on-demand uh, erections, and, and it's completely concealable, and it goes away uh, to, a, to a full flaccid state when you don't want it. And they're able to ejaculate? Yeah, it's just, so ejaculation and urination are not affected by this. Okay. All right. So now we're changing back to the diabetes conversation. I've never been able to have that conversation on the podcast before. Thank you for joining me on that. I, I know a lot of men do listen to the show. I'm actually going to be talking about this topic more in October in Philadelphia at the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. And I so appreciate you sharing that advice tonight. Um, I want to get to some of the hot well, hey, topics. Max, maybe I if I could just if I could just throw a quick comment at you on it. Um, because actually the subject of erectile dysfunction and penile implants is not generally well covered, not, not to the level it needs to be, not for the diabetics as far as I'm concerned, we've actually developed a number of online resources that can help. Um, oh, so if you go to Sergio, again, S-U-R-G-E-O, like Surgeon without the N, uh, there's a blog called Say It on Sergio. There's a Facebook page, and we keep posting material related to this that, that is potentially helpful. Great. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So your hot topic tonight is metformin is a drug used for type 2 diabetes. A lot of us know that. And it's safe and inexpensive. And um, there's an interesting new study out there that says that uh, metformin or a derivative might have some relevance in helping prevent uh, prostate cancer. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that. Right. So before we get too excited about this, a couple of general comments. First of all, I've actually seen some negative data on metformin in prostate cancer, including the fact that men with prostate cancer who have been on metformin are actually at higher risk for for a shorter life expectancy. Okay. So, uh, I mean, sometimes the good news gets the hype, sometimes the bad news gets the hype, and sometimes there's a bias one way or the other, so it's not the whole story. Maybe there's something here, but I don't think the science uh, has evolved to a point where where it's sufficient for us to go and start treating patients. To some extent, this moment reminds me of a moment 15 years ago when people got all excited about tomato sauce. 
being the remedy for, for prostate cancer. You may have missed that particular episode. Everybody said, let's go out and eat pizza. Uh, it turned out not to be true, okay? We need a lot more studies. We need randomized trials. They haven't been done yet. So what do people do when they read these studies? How do they take it back to their physician? Well, Because every day we're getting bombarded by this. It's either on Access Hollywood or Wendy Williams or it's covered on Dr. Oz or even other sources, you know, your, your, your Yahoo and your AOL news channels. I mean, this stuff gets picked up every day with a new health headline, especially on the evening news. Well, I, that's right, and I think in that sense we're all quite vulnerable in the sense that most of us don't have the sort of uh, training and knowledge in statistics and, and clinical outcomes research uh, to begin to evaluate these studies on our own. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with John Oliver. He runs a late-night show. He did a phenomenal um, segment about a month ago that, in layman's language that explains why we have to be so careful with the evening news, as you put it. Remember, the reporter's job is to sell papers, and, and they don't always have the training either. So when something sounds like it could make a really great headline, uh, they're going to hype it. The doctors, in theory, are supposed to know to be able to, to sift between the headlines and the science. And so the conversation needs to be something very similar to the one you and I are having where you present a question. Well, what about metformin? Will it help me live longer if I have metastatic prostate cancer? And then someone like me who has training with the illness or in the analysis of um, clinical research is supposed to look at the data and come back to you and say, well, that's just a bunch of journalists selling papers, or no, there's something really here. But I, I think we're in information overload. I think it's a real problem. Yeah, it adds to a lot of confusion, and um, which means we're going to have to have you back on the show again. <laughs> so thank you okay. for being a part of the show tonight and helping us some, unravel some of the mysteries that we hear on the evening news and also for giving us some really great advice as well as resources on erectile dysfunction. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, man. All right. Now, Art Forum has characterized a tribe called Quest for their jazzy loops, laid-back rapping styles, and offbeat rhymes they forged a new path in rap by fusing jazz and the pop structure of hip-hop. Let's take another listen to A Tribe Called Quest, courtesy of Sony Music. Body's healthy, mind is wealthy, what they flow that will propel me to be a native. Get creative, original, and designated. Listen to a line that's playing. Listen hard to what you're saying. Politicians are magicians. Make your vote, they hope you're wishing. Ambiguous words, senseless verbs. They all amount to crap that's heard. Violent hip-hop, money flip-flops. Promoters won't book, but it still rocks. I'm a Zulu. All right, you're listening to Diabetes Late Night. It's our man show. I'm Mr. Diva Bedick. And my next guest is funny man Mike Dillon, who is the owner of the Gateway Comedy Club. He's been consistently putting together great shows for over 13 years, showcasing the best form of live entertainment at a great low, pli- low price and using comedy to help him while he's living with diabetes. Please welcome funny man Mike. Hi, funny man Mike. Hey, Max. Glad to be here. Thanks for being on the show tonight. Oh, you got an audience, I see. Yeah, in the, yeah, the I got my li- oh, yeah, yeah. We've got a live audience yeah. for you. How's that? Well, I'm, I'm I'm used to hearing applause actually after my jokes. 
All right, so you're a comedian and you're also living with diabetes, or you're living with diabetes and you're also a comedian. Tell us first a little bit about your experience living with diabetes. Well, it has not been easy. Like I try to tell so many people that have diabetes or just having it now recently, uh, you have to be really, really careful with it. It's nothing to mess with. I messed with it. I was in denial probably for close to 15 years. I thought I could beat it myself. Guess what? You can't beat diabetes. You have to you have to listen to your doctors. You have to take your medications. You have to watch what you eat, watch you watch what you drink and uh, and monitor it. You have to con- consistently monitor it daily. And because you were living in denial, I'm just curious, what were the consequences of, of those actions or that decision? Well, I've had um, multiple amputations, to my best recollection, three amputations. I've had maybe four. I don't even know. It depends on if they amputate a part of your body and then they have to amputate it above that. Is that considered one or two? I don't know, but... I've had multiple amputations, bleeding behind the eyes. I presently, I just found out today, I have a heart issue, which is going to be hopefully rectified next Wednesday. On and on and on and on. It's it's been a, a real journey, this particularly the last two years, Max. Yeah, well, you were telling me earlier that you were an avid tennis fan, a uh, player, and you played a lot of tennis. And you just and you uh, going back to the amputation, you you saw that you had a cut on your big toe, and it led to more than that. Can you just tell us a little bit about that experience? Because I'm sure some people listening will be able to relate to what you're saying. Right. I had almost had 284 pounds at one time. Now I'm presently at probably about 165-ish. But, I, you know, I tried to lose the weight, try to beat the diabetes on my own, played a lot of tennis, and I developed a little cut a cut that nobody would think twice about and hurt a little bit. But, you know, like, like the doctor said before me, you guys just put up with it. The toe eventually, it was a great toe on the left foot, a big toe for layman. It eventually captured the entire toe. It turned the entire toe black. This is from a little cut that most people would just maybe throw a Band-Aid on, maybe a little whatever ointment they might have at the house, the, you know. But I continued to play tennis, and it continued to get worse. And foolishly, not realizing how a diabetic heals, it just got so bad it eventually had to be amputated. And then after that amputation, more of the toes on that same foot had to be amputated, correct? Right. Years later, about four years later, the bottom of my foot turned totally black, which any diabetic should realize that is too late. Gangrene. When it's black, it's gangrene. And that necessitated the remainder four toes being amputated. And almost, originally they told me it might actually go halfway up the calf, so... And, you know, last month, Mike, we talked about body image and diabetes, and specifically we were talking more about size. 
But uh, Patricia Addy Gentle, who was on the show earlier, was mentioning we should talk a little bit about body image and uh, regarding complications like an amputation and and what that means to you. Like, how did you're an entertainer? You're on stage. You're an actor and a comedian. How did how did these multiple amputations affect um, your sense of self and your ability to do the thing you love, which I believe is entertaining? Well, after losing a half my right leg, that that came after the amputations on the left foot. It really shook. It it shook me as a man. I I, I lost my sense of manhood. I mean, I really had a, a very hard time thinking of myself as a man again. You know, once you start losing body parts, you uh, doesn't necessarily have to be the one body part. I mean, you, you just kind of, that's a joke, by the way. You you just, um, it, it does something to you. It really does shake. Obviously, it would shake your world anyway, but it shakes as a man. I'm sure as a woman, it would do the same thing. Now, all of a sudden, you're feeling that you're not attractive to the opposite sex. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm married, but you still like to feel like you're attractive. And, and it really, it really shook me as far as, uh, Professionally goes, it basically stopped me dead for two years performing, constantly in and out of hospitals. Over the last two years, I estimate 16 procedures, ranging from literally from my top of my head to to what used to be my toes. I no longer have any toes. Uh, From concussions to knocking my teeth out, from uh, bleeding behind my eyes to totally ripping my uh, rotator cuff when I fell uh, once and, you know, on and on and on. So it really did basically uh, stop me. Well, then I think the amazing thing to add to that is during that entire time, you kept performing. In fact, you mentioned to me that you performed once in a hospital bed and was were on the phone doing your comedy show. So how has comedy played into this? How has the diabetes affected the comedy, or how has the comedy affected your diabetes? Right. Not to correct you, uh, Max, but, you know, I actually produced the show out of the bed. I I was performing (laughs) that far away. I don't know if I could have done that, but uh, I actually ran the shows uh, with my wife, of course, on the other end, if there were any kind of issues. How, I'm sorry, I I way laid away from your question. How has it affected my how, how does how does yeah how does diabetes affect your comedy? Well, you know, I, I recently finally went back on the stage. It really, it, it there was a certain bitterness to it. I, I felt I was robbed from performing. I felt very, I, I felt I, I was very bitter about it. That you know, how come in the middle of this, I never lost my faith in God. I think God is. And like I told you earlier on a pre-interview, uh, what I got from my father, I got a certain spirit from my father, was a World War II Marine. It, it doesn't allow me to st- I don't have a choice to stop. I don't have a choice to quit. Some people say you have choices. I don't because of the spirit that I was born with. Nothing about me. It just has the spirit that I was born with. It stopped me for a long time. I've been back on the stage, I guess about six or seven times in the last couple of months. I've done very well. It surprised me that I could still make people laugh. It, Alongside the fact that your manhood is is questioned, 
my ability to perform and make people laugh, I questioned that if I was still funny. And uh, surprisingly to me, I I could still make people laugh. I guess it's a gift. I guess you don't lose that. I I I mean I think we could all hear your a- attitude and are blown away by what you've endured and that you're so positive and seem so passionate about what you do. You know, coming up, funny man Mike, we're going to challenge you with our newest game potato skins, but first I'm going to meet my next guest who um we're going to talk about can diet soda be linked to kidney disease and if sh- so, what should you drink? What is a healthy drink? Well, while you ponder that thought along with Funny Man Mike, I'm going to play another song off the album uh, by a tribe called Quest. Let's take a listen. It's courtesy of Sony Music. Don't let the storm of life scare you. Get funky. Let me prepare you for the days of grimness and depression. Hey, yo, bro, here's your lesson. Even though the rain starts pouring, start reaching, start soaring. Don't stop if you do, you're stalling. Rhythm Savior, hear your calling. Instrumental to be free, beat. Go ahead in the rain and you'll see. Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. Hey, this is our man's show tonight. The men's show, I think we should call it. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. Finally, the men are outnumbering the women on our podcast. Hey, could diet, could drinking diet soda be linked to kidney desi- disease? And if so, what should you drink if you want to stay healthy? Well, my next guest is a certified sports nutritionist, personal trainer, author, and the brand ambassador of Hydro One Beverages. Please welcome Dr. Braxton A. Cosby to the show. Hello, Dr. Cosby. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you for having me on. You know, I, I wish it was a TV show because I heard in Atlanta you were named one of the hottest-looking people in, in that city, and that's a pretty big city, so I'm sorry people can't <laughs> see you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It, it was a great honor. I appreciated it. We have to throw that to the divas because we're doing all the divas right. tonight. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's so funny because I, there's more and more talk about sugar out in the um, – in the world today, and I was mm-hmm. reading about, you know, uh, we're trying to pull sugar back from the schools, but unfortunately, there's a, they're actually replacing some of the more obvious choices like sodas with sports drinks, which are available right. in like 83% of high schools across the country and 55 of middle schools. A lot of people think sports drinks are healthy, and that leads to some confusion. What do you want to say about that? Well, you know, I think at the end of the day, if we're talking about diabetes, we have to talk about sugar. I mean, the, the problem is is that our bodies, you know, are, are built to respond to sugar because it is uh, an energy source, a readily available energy source, and obviously for us to continue to live and move and breathe, we have to have energy. Um, and, you know, it's the, the easiest way to access it is in a drink, you know, in a drinking form because it's already broken down into a solution and it goes passes through our body and our organs, and we're able to uh, extract what we need from it in multiple passes. And uh, the problem is is that over time, when you start to gain weight because of the excess calories you get from sugar and sugary drinks, um, your body develops uh, fatty tissue, and that fatty tissue has to be uh, metabolized and processed, uh, and the body has a hard time doing that over time, starts to go into um, challenges, uh, especially with the pancreas trying to produce insulin, which is basically the main transport of the sugar from our bloodstream and into our, our cells. So um, if we get to the point where we're dumping too much sugar, 
into the bloodstream multiple times throughout the day, and this happens over weeks and months and years, the body starts to get an intolerance to it, and uh, we don't have enough insulin uh, to transport the sugar in and out of our cells. And when you have too much sugar in your bloodstream, there's uh, situations where that becomes toxic. And uh, when you, if you have too much and your body's doing too much of a great job of doing that, then you don't have any uh, readily sources for uh, energy. So it can go either way, uh, but the, the bottom line is that people think that, oh, I'm drinking a sports drink as opposed to soda, and, and kids, of course, are the, the biggest litmus test because they drink uh, drinks that taste good. And most of the time, anything that tastes good has some degree of sugar in it. So, yes, uh, we have to make sure we uh, read the labels. We look at the ingredients on all of the drinks, no matter uh, if it's a latte, if it's a sports drink, if it's a soda, or even if it's just water, you know, calorie-free drinks. We have to look at the content and make sure that what we think we're putting in our bodies, we're, bodies, we're actually doing that. And so when we're talking about healthy drinks, I know you're you're now the brand ambassador for Hydra One. Tell us a little bit about mm -hmm. that all-natural, low-calorie beverage. Right. The great thing about Hydra One is everything is very organic. So you can't just open the bottle, drink half of it, and leave it out over days like you can some of these other sports drinks, and then go back and drink it. it basically, it's, it's lost all the nutrients. You know, everything is made processed in, in uh, a plant right here in America, and um, everything is just natural. So you're getting everything you need. You're not getting these sugar substitutes. Um, you're, you're getting pure um, sugar sources, and uh, you're also able to, um, they have some other things with CoQ10 and other uh, nutrients, just, just everything that you need, and on top of it, wow, miraculously, it tastes great. So um, that's why I've been on board, and, and what I love about Hydra One is that they have different variations and variants of the drink uh, that actually help with people who have challenges, those who, um, you know, are overweight. They may want to go with some of the lower-calorie uh, drinks that uh, we talk about that the brand has, and uh, those who have diabetes and they're really looking to cut the sugar, then they have a, a, um, a line of drinks that are specific to that. So it's just something that we can, we can offer to the public that's going to be able to address a lot of issues that we have um, and hopefully over time people start to really learn more about Hydro One because it has really been an amazing experience working with the doctors who have um, created the drink, and the brand is continuing to grow, and um, athletes are getting behind it, and the schools are getting behind it because it's, it's a great um, alternative to the normal sports drinks that these kids are having. And like I said, at the end of the day, man, wow, it actually tastes good. you know. So I definitely believe in it. I work out. And I drink it every day when I work out because I know that what I'm putting in my body is going to help me uh, stay strong and it's not going to uh, have any detrimental effects in the long run as I continue to age and, and work out and be active. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about workout because, you know, we're getting to the warmer weather. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of our listeners are living with type 2 diabetes and everyone wants to engage, maybe rev up their fitness plan. What are some of the biggest mistakes we make when we start out with a fitness plan? I think the first thing we do is we're, un we're unrealistic. We, we really uh, don't know ourselves enough, and we, we think, hey, we set unrealistic goals, for one. We want to lose like 10 pounds in a week. We heard that somebody did something before, and we want to try to replicate the same thing. We take on programs that, that are not adapted to us. It's not customized. Um, and then on top of that, we start a program that really, realistically we probably can't finish. You know, like I tell everybody, it's just it's not a one stop shop when it comes to exercise, fitness, and wellness. You just can't do what everybody else does. You have to say, hey, 
what's been my activity level over the past year or years. I have to, uh, what was my past experience with exercise? How did I do? What were some of the barriers that slowed me down and stopped me from continuing the program that I started? And uh, what are the things that motivate me? You know, at the end of the day, you being healthy has to come down to you. And then sometimes if that doesn't work, do you have a family? You know, are you a, an older male or female who has kids and a spouse? And, you know, how important are they to you that you're able to be there to be with them over the next 10, 20 years? Uh, where people really start to put on a lot of weight is when they get in their 30s and they don't realize that it becomes insidious. They, they do things, they have bad habits, they gain two pounds or three pounds a year, and they don't think that's a big deal. But 20 years from now, you automatically, uh, if you gain three pounds a year for the next 20 years, you, you put on 60 pounds. And you don't know where it came from, you know, and those numbers are alarming. And they talk about by the time we're in 2030, we're going to have a population of about 90% of the population going to be overweight uh, and 60% being obese. And that means having a BMI greater than 30, which is highly indicative, increasing your risk of stroke, heart attack, and uh, diabetes, of course. So the idea is, you know, go take it at a slower pace. I mean, we we – a lot of our guests tonight have been throwing around this term macho, and I feel like macho really applies to going to the gym and how guys mm-hmm. enter the gym and what they're trying to do. They they seem to, in my opinion, we all seem to do more than we should because we're trying to mm-hmm. foster ourselves, you know. And, and Absolutely. Think, uh, that has to be an issue. So what you're really saying is like kind of sit down and, and kind of, uh, downsize some of these expectations you might have, whether it's losing mm-hmm. weight or running a marathon. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing about uh, me when I go to the gym, you know, you, you are a man. You have some testosterone, so you want to do well. You want to look in the mirror and see if you're making progress. I get all of that. But honestly, if you're really uh, so involved or, or distracted by looking at other people, you know, you really need to go back and evaluate why you're there. You know, you really need to say, hey, I'm here for a purpose. Um, I talk about a lot of things in my health book, um, things that help you get through exercise, and one of the biggest uh, tips that I give is called uh, buddy up. You know, find a buddy. Find somebody who's right around your level. You both have the same goals. You want to achieve the same things. And have that person who's an accountability partner. So when you're going, you're working out with that buddy. You know, when you're not going, your buddy's calling you saying, hey, you know, we got to get to the gym. When you're about to eat, if you guys go out to eat, you eat the right things, you know. So in my book, Fat Free for Life, I touch on those because I really believe that, you know, you've got to uh, aspire to to be healthy, it's got to be a personal decision, and you've got to bring people with you, and you also have to be accountable in that system of deciding that, hey, I'm going to be a better person today, and you just take it day by day, and like you said, take it slowly, you're going to have some wins, you're going to have some losses, but over time, the goal is to have more wins and losses and start to see the weight go down, and on all of your numbers, your blood pressure, your cholesterol, and your blood sugar, all those things should start to come down over time, it's not just about weight only. Great advice. Well, thank you for being on the show. You know, I like to make my workouts fun, which means, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Cosby, I know you're going to be leaving us, but we're going to play our newest game, Potato Skins, with Funny Man Mike in a minute. But first, we're going to hear one more song by A Tribe Called Quest while everyone out there is drinking some water. That's the beverage of tonight. All right, have a good night. Oh. 
Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. We put Funny Man Mike in the hot seat. How are you, Mike? I'm right here, Max. Okay, and Patricia Addy Gentle, you're over at the other side, right? You're over there? I'm Perfect. here. All right, well, this is our newest game, everybody. We've never played it before. It's called Potato Skins. Um, I'm going to tell you how to play the game. But first, I posted this game on our Divabetic Facebook page last week and six and said if you got the answer right, you would qualify to be an instant winner. So out of everyone who entered, and thank you all for uh, bringing in your entries, only six people got it right. So, Mike, your first question is pick a number from one to six. That's an easy question. That one I can win. What, 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 <laughs> what, what's your number? I'll take what's number, number six, Max. Number six? Well, I'll take number six. Why not? Go for it. Oh, my God. Thank Sandy you. from New York, you might be an instant winner. Mike, you're playing for Sandy from New York. She's been part of the Diva Better community for over 10 years. I know her personally. I, I, if, you don't, if you get this wrong, I'm really going to cry for Sandy. But if you win, she'll get the prize packet. All right, so here's the question. Uh, we're focusing on sodium tonight. You heard, Doc, you heard Marianne Nikolai talking about it earlier, and as well as Patricia Addy Gentle. While most people already know it's best to steer clear of high-salt foods like movie theater popcorn and french fries, you also need to be on the lookout for less obvious foods that are loaded with sodium. Try to guess which one of these foods contains the most amount of sodium. Funny man, Mike, your choices are A, a hot dog, B, one cup of cornflakes, D, um, I think it's a tablespoon of sodium, don't answer yet. Hold your answer. The last uh, A is hot dog, B is cornflakes, C is soy sauce. While you're thinking about it, a tribe called Quest is gonna. We're gonna hear a little cut from another song from Tribe Called Quest. Let's hear what it is before he gives his answer. Okay, so guitarra. Okay, so um, let's start with this. What, what's your name? Cupid. Uh, where were you going? Who were you going with? Well, he left his wallet. We're hoping you find the right answer. Okay, so we're playing potato skins. We're challenging Mike tonight to find out what the to name the food that contains the most amount of sodium. His three choices were a hot dog, a cup of cornflakes, or a tablespoon of soy sauce. If he wins tonight, Sandy from New York will become an instant winner. Oh, and I your answer, Mike. Yes, I did not before. I know soy sauce has an awful lot of salt. I also know that hot, and a hot dog does too. I am going to go with uh, soy sauce. Is that your final answer? Uh, I don't like the way you said that. I'm going to change it to hot dog. <laughs> You're going I with hot dog? I have the right to change, correct? Yeah, you could say hot dog. Is it hot dog? Oh, man, I don't know. I'm going to go with the soy sauce. Patricia, what's the answer? Well, Mike, I am so happy you didn't go with the hot dog. You are absolutely right. The soy sauce has 1,000 milligrams of sodium per tablespoon, while a hot dog has 700 milligrams of sodium. So okay, you were so right. And what, is corn, what do cornflakes have? The cornflakes are the lowest of the three options, with 200 milligrams of sodium per one-cup serving. 
And why well, why would Mike even be con- concerned about his sodium intake, Patricia? Well, sodium, um, like sugar, increases the intensity of flow of the um, blood on the vessels. And so with that intensity of flow or restriction, resistance in the vessels, it does increase the blood pressure. All right, Mike. Well, for, for playing tonight's game and helping us raise awareness for diabetes in a fun new way, you and Sandy are getting a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic safe glycemic tooth-friendly sweeteners, a cabbage cheese gift basket filled with an assortment of delicious low-fat cheeses, and Dr. Greenfield diabetes, diabetes lotions and products, which are specifically designed for people with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. Thank you for helping us out and raise awareness. That is great. Next time I have Chinese food, I'm putting cornflakes on them. <laughs> you knew That's that funny. That's funny, man. Mike. All right, well, we've uh, before we bring in our last guest with Mama Rosemarie, it's, it's our men's show, and we have a caller named Jay who wanted to share his story. Uh, let's meet Jay, everybody. Hi, Jay. Hello, everybody. Thank you for calling in and being part of the show tonight. Yes, yes, I'm glad to be a part of the show because it's an important topic when you talk about diabetes. And the fact of the matter is that I was diagnosed uh, two months ago with diabetes. And, of course, I was in denial as well. And so I started eating properly, eating the right foods and everything, and to this day right now, um, I see my doctor every three months. And so I'm currently right now, I'm not taking any uh, medication, which is the metformin, um, and because of my eating habits right now. So as of right now, my, my blood levels, uh, sugar levels are normal um, because of, of eating, just eating the right foods and um it it was tough for me to endure but i I will say that you know and sometimes you you have to cut back on the different foods and sugars and things that you eat in order to um uh get back to where you're supposed to be as far as in life And, and 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 something was interesting from this show what I heard was that, you know, which I didn't know, you all mentioned something about metformin and uh, prostate cancer uh, for taking too too much of metformin or something about uh, prostate cancer. Well, we had, uh, and he's still on the line, we have Dr. Arnon on the line uh, who is discussing that and disputing what some of these health claims are. Dr. Arnon, uh, do you want to clarify that a little bit for Jay? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, there have been reports, um, both, you know, lab reports and clinical reports, um, that there may be some survival benefit um, for men with metastatic prostate cancer who are on metformin. You know, the science is just very, very early. It's not enough to hang a hat on. Hmm. So there's not enough research out there yet for that claim to really... Uh, you shouldn't hold that claim, take that claim as ser- that seriously. Like Dr. Arnon saying, it needs to, there needs to be a lot more evidence behind it before people start looking at that. And as we mentioned on the show, the media tends to hype up these things with little or no evidence behind them just to have a sensational headline. So he was kind of urging 
you as well as me and the rest of our listeners to kind of be be on the lookout for that and make sure we go back to our healthcare professionals like Patricia or Dr. Arnon to get the information uh, and present them the information to find out the facts. I'm curious though, and I'm sure everyone is, what was the, um, what changed your mind and how did you get out of denial? Because so many people are listening can identify with your story as well as Mike's. And I'm curious, what was the, uh, what would you credit the change in your attitude about? Well, I, I encourage people because the battle was with me because I already have high blood pressure. So, so I didn't want to get on another medication. And, and so I decided to fight back and, you know, um, I, I, I told my doctor that, you know, I'm not going to be on this medication for the rest of my life. And, you know, he told me that, you know, well, you're going to have to take it. And so I denied it and I, I fought back and I started eating the right uh, foods. And I did to, to begin with, I when I was diagnosed, I believe it or not, I don't know if this happens to everybody, but I lost 20 pounds from diabetes just from and I, and I didn't know I had it. And I, I end up losing 20 pounds, and I don't know if that happens to everybody. Well, wait, let's ask uh, Patricia Addy Gentle. You're an RN, CDE, which is Certified Diabetes Educator. Uh, you, you're listening to Jay. He's giving us a testimonial about being uh, diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and had a considerable weight drop before diagnosis. Sometimes um, with extreme high blood sugars, if they're extremely high, uh, the person is actually burning ketones, and that can be a very dangerous situation. But if there are ketones that are being burned, it, 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 I would have to go in a lot of depth to explain to you what ketones actually are, but it's like a byproduct when you're not using sugar for energy. The sugar, excess sugar is in the bloodstream, and your body turns to an alternate source because that sugar is not getting into the cells to be utilized as energy. Then the body starts to burn the stores of fat. And when it does that, the byproduct is ketones, and often you will see people with extremely high blood sugars lose weight prior to getting diagnosed and getting into treatment. So that's probably what happened with Jay. Yes, yes. And also, um, I did have the symptoms where I was actually going to the restroom a lot, you know, as far as urination. um, I mean, I had that. um, I mean, it was just constant. And I thought it was normal at first until I I said something's not right. This doesn't happen all the time. And I'm thinking it's because of the liquids that I drink. And, you know, that was one symptom that I did have. And, and, and so, that, that is one of the classic symptoms of high blood sugar is the body compensates and your brain is uh, sending that signal to let you know you you know need to excrete, get the sugar out of the system. So urination and thirst go hand in hand with those first symptoms indicative of diabetes. And I want to mm-hmm. ask, um, Mike, does any of this ring true with you too? Like where you're hearing Jay and the denial, did you did you feel like you were experiencing any of these symptoms or similar symptoms that you just kind of like brushed off, kind of like Jay did initially? Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, uh, Max, I I went through the urination uh, situation. I can remember one particular night where I I counted how many times I had to urinate. I think it was seven or eight. And one evening I had to, while I was sleeping, I had to go to the to the bathroom. Um, denial, uh, 100%. I thought I could beat it. I obviously couldn't. And uh, all those symptoms that uh, uh, Jay had mentioned are, are, are very accurate. Uh, I, I did not lose weight. I actually gained weight. I think that was my biggest uh, uh the tractor was was the weight thing. I wasn't I wasn't a big drinker. I uh, abstained from drugs. I did not smoke. But boy, could I eat. Eating was my place to go. And Jay, and, and you have such and I'll a. I'll say one uh, thing. If I could just interject oh, sure. with one thing. Any bad habit. If you just have one bad habit. If you like to drink. If you like to gamble. If you like to run around, if you anything, one bad habit, if you let it get too, if you do not moderate it, if you do not control it, can bring you down. No, that's great advice. And, Jay, you've had such considerable success in three months of making these behavioral changes that I know a lot of guys don't want to change the food they're eating. What, what, are, you, what are you eating now on a, on a daily basis? just so people could get a clearer picture of the change you've made. Well, I, I find it hard. I find it real hard for breakfast in the morning because, first of all, I, all the, the cereals, I used to eat cereal, and it's now I'm looking at, you know, only thing that I'm eating in the mornings, um, I eat cinnamon, I like cinnamon bread, because cinnamon is supposed to help. But, you know, as far as in the mornings, you know, when before I go to work, I eat cinnamon bread. Um, I eat lunch, um, healthy lunch now is more vegetables and salad. And and, and for dinner, it's mainly I eat salad, but I usually add chicken to it. Um, basically, it's more of I eat more of the salads now with chicken in it, and and that's pretty much what I'm eating now. It's just amazing because, I mean, I can eat all the meats for protein, but, you know, you have to watch, you know, as far as how much meat, again, you're putting in your body. Um, it's, 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 been a, it's been a real challenge for me as far as uh, what to eat and how to look at my sugar levels daily because my sugar levels, they fluctuate. Um, if you look at uh, the levels, of course, you have to maintain, I believe, it's, uh, it has to be under 140 for your sugar levels. Well, that is, um, I know I'm bringing Patricia back on, our certified diabetes educator. That's uh, Target ranges are specific to individuals, are they not, Patricia? But when, after you answer that, I just uh, we're wrapping up the show, but I want to have you address the cinnamon issue that, uh, Jay brought up as well as maybe what a good healthy idea is for breakfast. Um, I heard him say cinnamon bread. Now cinnamon extract has been um, studied, and there have been some beneficial uh, kind of impacts that that we've noted, but not that significant in lowering blood sugar or A1C, but I I can't remember the exact amount, but we do see that there is um, some impact to lowering blood sugars. 
and using cinnamon. But now when when you say cinnamon bread, bread is carbohydrate. So you definitely have right. to, you know, you would have to count yes, that in yes. your meal plan. Yes, and I, and I forget it, the other question was about a blood sugar being about 140. What was that? Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, the levels, I'm not sure. I, the levels for, and I, like you say, it may vary for for some people, some people. but but my my levels now are like 99 uh 100 uh 80, sometimes low as 88 87 uh mm-hmm. for, for, well, for, well talk with your doctor about your specific targets but those numbers seem to be pretty consistent with you know pretty good management 140 if you are not fasting if you have eaten and, um, you know, it, it, it's less than two hours after the meal, then 140 is not a bad number. It's not um, it's not the kind of number that a person without diabetes might have. But, yes, uh, that number might not be too bad for you. But just speak with your doctor about what targets you should be aiming for. When I first uh visited the doctor when my levels was like at a 14 ac1 like it was 14 which is high and so when i visited him three months uh after it he said i've never seen anything like this before he was jumping up and down he said your ac is one is now five okay I had cut it down. I cut it down to actually one because some people take two tablets of metformin. Um, however, I had I end up cutting it down to one because my my blood levels were were okay. So now I'm not taking any. And I told okay. my doc, I said I now don't really my, take. Now my my advice would be don't change prescriptions. Don't change the way that a medication has been prescribed. Always seek attention from your doctor prior to doing that. So make sure yes, that your doctor yes. is aware, uh, he, but always get the doctor's input before you change your dosage. But well, that well, is my... an incredible accomplishment, Jay, and uh, I applaud you, and I know our team applauds you for being so proactive about your health. That's an incredible uh, share to, give to have on the show tonight. Okay. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I went out. I'm sorry, I went out a little bit. Uh, what was the question? Uh, there wasn't one. We were just applauding you for calling in and telling us your story and in, inspiring so many people on tonight's program. I, I wish you all the success, and I hope you join us again on future shows and keep us updated with your progress. It's wonderful. Yes, I will. I will, and I'm glad I saw this show on Blog Talk Radio. I mean, it's a good show, to, I mean, to be informed about diabetes and, and even in the kidneys as far as how it affects your kidneys as well so i just thank applaud you for having this topic thank you very much all right well you guys we have our caller jay tonight and if you want to call in you're always welcome to call in to blog talk radio and share your story with us at 347-215-8551 it's time to welcome my final guest mama rosemary hi mama rosemary hi there this must seem familiar to you. You're surrounded by all men tonight, just like you are in real life, because you have four sons. Uh, so this right. must be very familiar, right? Very familiar, very familiar. Um, I'm just laughing because I thought that the trick question and the potato skins, 
I thought that would be a trick question, so I picked cornflake, and I'm sure Patricia is laughing about that. But I said, oh, it must be a trick question. It's got to be cornflake. No, it's amazing <laughs> anyhow, how much me... sodium is in, so- in soy sauce. It's alarming, actually. Right, right. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you my tip this month, and it is to encourage uh, everyone to become an organ donor. Each day, about 79 people receive organ transplants. However, 22 people die each day waiting for those transplants. These transplants um, are difficult, can't take place because of the shortage of donated organs. Each year, organ, eye, and tissue donation and transplantation provide a second chance of life for thousands of people. You have the opportunity to be one of the individuals who make this miracle happen. Give the gift of hope to the thousands of individuals awaiting organ transplants. Find out more at the organdonor.gov or whatever the website is that Lynette had also she advised you, and I think you'll probably put that on your website. So with that information, I want to wish all the gentlemen callers a happy Father's Day and ciao for now. Thanks, Mom. And I want to thank all my guests for being a part of the show. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org. Visit Divabetic's Facebook pages and play our next Potato Skins, and you might be an instant winner. And check out all my videos on Mr. Divabetic's YouTube channel. Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. We're going to close the podcast with one of my favorite songs by a tribe called Quest. One more time, we're going to hear Can I Kick It, courtesy of Sony Music. Happy Father's Day. your arms if you really need a hug afrocentric living is a big shrug a life filled with that's what i love a lower plateau is what we're above if you diss us we won't even think of we'll nip of the doggy give a big shove this rhythm really fits like a sun glove like a box of positives it's a plus love as the tribe flies high like a dove